And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. She's known the Lord since 1999. The Lord brought her to himself. She's married to Kent, a Reformed Presbyterian pastor in North Carolina. She's a homeschooling mother, an author, and a speaker. Rosaria, it's great to have you on with us again. Oh, thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here as well. You like to write books. I I believe you've written three of them, right? Three books so far? I've written three books as a Christian. Ah, (laughs) gotcha. But but we don't have to. We probably should not talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's intriguing, isn't it? (laughs) The um, the latest book is the Gospel comes with a house key. Um, Mm -hmm. This book, um, in in a way, was not a surprise that it came out. But I love this title, and and there's a subheading Uh here. It says practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. And in some ways, I'm fearful of entering into learning about this because I know that the Lord is going to use it to <laughs> convict my own heart. <laughs> so um, so maybe, oh, uh, maybe you can get us started. Um, what, uh, what was going through your mind when you started writing this book? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, at, we've talked before, and so many good and faithful and loving brothers and sisters in Christ have asked me to share a little bit about what it was like from my perspective um, to to really immigrate from the LGBTQ community into Christ. And, and, you know, we know that the gospel comes not in addition to the life that you love, but in exchange for it, and and what that loss was like, what the gain was like, and who are the people standing with me in all of this rubble? And and so I've I've before talked about the story of Ken and Floyd Smith, my faithful um, neighbors, and also my faithful pastor for years, um, and how they how they loved me, how they met with me, how they listened to my questions, how they fed me for two years, uh, really, no kidding, um, and, and, and how they put up with me, put up with the fact that I would listen to them and then go back to the university and mock them <laughs> and um, dispute with them, and, uh, and how it didn't really look very favorable that the out lesbian feminist who just co-authored the first domestic partnership policy at the university was going to do anything but just be trouble and and this went on and on and on. And I tell people this story, and, and often people say, well, that's very nice. They must have been people of amazing fortitude. <laughs> and, then, and then people just, just really walk away, you know, a little bit rich, young ruler style. And, right. Um, you know what I mean? And so, so what, I wanted, what I wanted to do in this book was share that I have, that I was, that I needed them. That I, I know it's the word that saves. I believe that to be absolutely true. And I remember that day. I remember waking up and realizing that even though I still felt like a lesbian in body and mind and heart and all of that, that I loved the Lord and that I loved his Bible bigger than I loved me. And I knew that that was going to be the death of me. I mean, I just knew it. So I know it's the word. I know it's the word that's alive and active like a double-edged sword. But, oh, if the Smiths and the church 
hadn't been there with me and for me and helped me deal with the rubble of my world, I am positive I would not be talking with you today. And so Kent and I, um, and Kent has his own story, and and, um, Kent and I both were raised in uh, non-Christian homes, and we were both the only believers in our family for years and years and years. Um, For the last 17 years of marriage, Kent and I have been practicing what we consider to be ordinary hospitality, but what everybody else considers to be radical hospitality. Yeah. So, like all, like all good authors, I just put them together and let you decide. That's what that double adjective means. You decide. Um, and so what we wanted to do was just invite you into our home to see some of the things that happens when you walk closely with people who might be scary on Christian terms. That would be people like me, people like the person I used to be. So mm-hmm. I say in the book, if Mary Magdalene had written a book on hospitality, it might read like this. <laughs> um, and I say in the book that Christian hospitality really is meant to go and seek out the stranger. And you know mm. what? We need help in knowing how to do that. So the book seeks to do that, mm. to seek the stranger, draw the stranger in, make that stranger a neighbor, and by God's grace, make that neighbor part of the family of God. This is not obviously to replace the church, but this is to be a bridge to the church. In a post-Christian world, it's not enough just to invite people to church. You know, I before the interview, uh, I think it was yesterday, I, I mentioned to my pastor in, in a quick email that we would be talking, and I, I forwarded, uh, uh, you know, a copy of your book online to him or something like that, and he mm-hmm. said words to the effect, you know, if we were doing this... We would hardly need any other outreach. <laughs> this was so profound in his mind and so oh, important. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I feel that way too. I mean, the subtitle of the book is "This Post-Christian World We Lived In." I, I really believe if we if we live in the way that the Bible commands us to, that we wouldn't have some of the problems we have today. So yeah. I do realize that we are in a bad place. I, I am not. I'm not here to preach the world to the church. I loathe that. I really do. But I do want to encourage us to give us the courage to take some bigger risks Mm. with our hospitality ministry because, you know, a lot happens in the lives of your family and your children when they see people saved. Um, In our case, and I talk a little bit about it in the book, you know, a lot happens when the local meth addict becomes a brother in the Lord. That changes everything. And and, and among other things, it's very good for the family. It's very good for your children and my children to know that Jesus is not some prop we pull out for Sunday morning, (laughs) that he is alive and he hears our prayers And Jesus is good news for everybody, and I mean everybody. I mean the neighbor who struggles with addiction, the neighbor who struggles with abuse. I even mean the neighbor who has gone through a sex change operation, because there's simply no no, uh, genital mutilation in heaven. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And so it's never too late, but we do live in a world of pragmatism. And I hear this too often. We're hedging our bets with people. Well, I don't know God's elect, and you don't either, but I trust 
that he has many people in our neighborhood, many people. We need to cast that net widely. Mm-hmm. And we need to do it safely, too. And so this is not a book, this is not a Pollyanna book about happy hospitality. Uh, I talk about the hardships. Um, because, you know, you open your door and, and you, you hope it's Jesus, but what if it's Satan, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're to be discerning. And so I do share, you know, some of the hardships and um, and some of the challenges. But, you know, to bottom line it for you all, we have had a much harder go. It has been much harder on us, and it has been much more dangerous to deal with wolves in sheep's clothing from the Church right. than any unbeliever in any situation in life. That is helpful. That That's so true. Um, I, I was just dying to ask you this question. I don't even know how to ask it, and that is... Um, in, in in your book, you talk about um, basically building your life so that there's some margin, so that people mm-hmm. can basically interrupt you with their life, and you can show them right. hospitality. I I don't know how to do this. I I am so busy. Now, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> right. And 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 right. you know, it's a right. it's a radio station off the air. It's it's this that report. Right. It's whatever. It's driving me nuts. Yeah. And yet, um, right. I know this is true. Can you tell us a little bit, how did it feel as you realize, oh, I've got to build some margin into my life? Right, right. Well, first of all, it wasn't that I had that prophetic, brilliant idea, <laughs> and then I just managed it by myself, because I have no prophetic, brilliant ideas. What happens is God's providence so messes up your busy schedule, and it, and, and he does that, you know, <laughs> for enough days in a row that yeah. you say, you know what? It's better to have 200 unanswered emails, and maybe you all don't want to hear that. Yes. It's better to have 200 unanswered emails uh, and to be serving in my, in my neighborhood in this way. Mm. And, um, and so what happened was we had a wake-up call, and that wake-up call instituted a change in our practices. <laughs> and it was a wonderful thing, and I've not, very much like every step that I've taken forward in faith, and there have been a lot of those big, scary leaps. In fact, usually it doesn't feel like a step forward. Usually it just feels like jumping off a cliff. Um, and I've been doing that a lot in the last, in the last um, you know, 18 years, of, 19 years of, of, of faith. Um, but I have never, I can count the costs, and I can tell you them in a very, uh, discreet way, you know. I can, I can. You can measure them with a with a measuring rod. But the the blessings have been unfathomable, and I wanted to communicate that in the book. Mm. I wanted, and especially for our reformed brothers and sisters, of which I am your sister. I am I am your kind. Yeah. I wanted you to know that because we know that worship is distinctive, because we know it is set apart from the world. There are ways that you can use your home to build the church that does not in any way violate that, but instead fulfills and upholds um, um, those important boundaries um, mm. around what church is and what church does. And so I, it's a very personal book. It's part memoir, it tells some very personal stories because um, what happens in our home and what happens in your home is very personal. But the change in our home began with a knock on the door. Um, 
um, early in the morning, a um, little bit after six o'clock in the morning, and it was the Drug Enforcement Agency wanting to know what we knew about what happened across the street. Hmm. And very quickly, we were we were. Um, I don't want to say we were accused of of ill of ill will, but we were certainly accused of ill judgment because mm. we were the only friends of the man across the street. Oh yes. And so the book starts starts that way, and um, and 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 that's that was the first interruption. You know, the Lord will interrupt your busyness, and and you know, I think a good way to think about this is that, you know, what's the What's the opposite of busyness? Well, it's not laziness, but it's kindness. Mm. You go right to the fruit of the Spirit, it's kindness. Mm. And so, who, you know, I don't think we want to argue with that. I mean, maybe I'm sure there are some who would, <laughs> but I don't think you're going to do that. So, no. um, so the, book, the book does, you know, draw that out, because we are all busy with our ministry, but when ministry makes us blind to the people around us and makes us unable to actually seek out the stranger. And we must do that. I mean, we are commanded to, get, to show hospitality to the stranger, and yet there is no way that in our good middle-class lives that a stranger is going to fall from the sky. Yeah, it's true. Um, you, you, we have to seek out the stranger. And so I talk in the book about how you do that. But like anything else, once it becomes a habit, um, it, it becomes much easier. I find it so much harder to invite people over for a, a you know, a, some kind of a, an event um, than I do to just simply do what we do now, which is daily hospitality. Hmm. Because there's a rhythm and a habit that goes into that, and that makes all the difference. Well, it must have been quite a quite a shock to see these guys standing at your at the door of your house so early in the morning with their garb on and and basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of an mm-hmm. implied accusatory tone, you know. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so there, that that itself shows the risks involved. But it, the risks are worth it. Um, they the, are. The risks are worth it. Um, any other story that you can share without giving away um, the book <laughs> <laughs> over the year? That, yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll share. Ask, I will share a story that isn't even in the book because we're living it right now. Perfect. Yes. Um, about three weeks ago. A woman walked into our church, and she just wanted a cup of cold water. It was a hot day. I live in Durham, North Carolina. It is. <laughs> it starts to get hot in March. <laughs> so, so, um, so I know for those of you in the north, this is. I'm rubbing it in a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and it became very quickly. Uh, it became very, very clear, very quickly that we she had some serious needs and was um a poised and gracious woman and wanted help but but didn't want to trust strangers and um it's a long story this turned out to be a story about a homeless family and for the last 3 weeks we have been sharing our home with this christian family displaced mm. by homelessness mm. Now, we didn't know they were a Christian family that first night. We did make appropriate phone calls, but we had have not worked with an agency because one of the things we've learned over the course of 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 looking out for people is that um, there are there are many 
Christians displaced by by homelessness mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. so so we have a small church, we're a small reformed church. There's another family in the church who was able to share um in the the housing and the feeding and the transporting and um and the getting to jobs and the getting to school um and 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 hmm. um three things are my takeaways. Number one is um about fifteen years ago when Kent and I were licensed foster parents in Virginia I had prayed, Lord, if there's ever an opportunity to keep a child out of foster care, show me how. <laughs> and since then, I've started working with an agency called Safe Family, and working with an agency that seeks to keep children out of foster care by giving genuine care to the whole family mm-hmm. when it is appropriate for a church to do so. This is a Christian response to, um, uh, to foster care, really, yeah. um, that has allowed us to develop some tools and skills so that when this family did walk through the door of the church, we could help. Um, my other takeaway is that I can tell you the things that we have lost. I can tell you it in numbers. Our food bill has gone up. Our water bill has gone up. We have missed a haircut, and we have missed a couple of swim team practices. Mm. But the gains have been unfathomable. Mm. We have a brother and sister in the Lord. Amen. and And children. And we have personally watched, and so have our children, and so have our neighbors, we have seen the pattern that God has set forward for us. Strangers become neighbors who turn out, who either become or turn out to be family of God. Mm. And, um, you know, we're just currently working with other families in other churches to find a a long-term living situation but we've been able to do this over the years. Mm-hmm. We have a, a guest room, and we've been able to use it for short-term ministry needs. And I talk in the book about some of those other ones. Um, but it, it's, it, it does require um, a certain alertness to, um, to um, I don't know, to being sensitive to other people's needs. I mean, one of the things that our listeners might not know, I mean, I didn't know until I started working with, with, uh, with Safe Family and other groups, is that most people who have been displaced by homelessness experience post-traumatic st- stress disorder. Mm-hmm. It's a very shocking thing. And, and the other thing is that when you are interfacing with people, either using an agency like Safe Family or using the skills that you have from having used agencies, one of the realities is that they're only strangers for about the first three hours hmm. because ultimately homelessness is connected to financial trouble. And if you're helping them get back on their feet, you, you actually have more information about them than, than you probably do about any member of your church. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So, uh, so there's this, but they're also very afraid of you. I mean, this, this fear of strangers, it, it, it's pervasive. And it isn't just Christians who feel it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of something. Hearing you talk here, the whole focus so far has been the home. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mind drifted quickly to uh, a person coming into the church. You mentioned the person coming into the church. And uh, our tendency, uh, especially if it's a little bit larger church, is to talk with and fellowship with those that we already know. Yeah. And if it's somebody that's a little bit recluse, like myself, 
um, we may not, may have a fear or whatever uh, of going to right. that person we don't know. Can you advise us on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, after the Obergefell decision in 2015, and that was the decision that both legalized gay marriage, but also created a new category of personhood, um, and that was the idea that homosexuality is not how you are, but the Bible leaves room for that. The Bible absolutely says that for many of us, the thumbprint of Adam on our lives will be unchosen homosexuality. And we all know that original sin distorts us, and actual sin distracts us, right. and indwelling sin manipulates us, and it all condemns us. <laughs> so, you know, this is not a... But shortly after that, we started um, practicing daily hospitality, especially for the singles in our church, hmm. and especially for the people in our world who were struggling with homosexuality. And that is because it became a very lonely, scary time, especially for a faithful Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, the world says, just, you know, you do you, you be you, do what you want, it's great. Some segments of the Church who um, started to um, endorse the heresy of gay Christianity, and it's a heresy whether you're practicing it or not, um, started to also, you know, confuse people. If this is who I am, how do I, how in the world do I repent of a sin that is me. You know, how do I hate my sin without hating myself? These are really hard questions. So then there's the gay Christian, you know, heresy, and, you know, and and then there was some some of the strident words of the Church that, you know, that would say it's a choice, it's a bad choice, you know, kind of a misrepresentation for for, for many of us. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that bad choices are not, you know, are not bad choices, but you know what I'm saying here. And so we started practicing daily hospitality because we realized that you know, the the privilege of being a family meant that, among other things, Kent leads us in family devotions every night, and, and everybody needs that. And it's mm-hmm. hard to do that as a single person. So we started to do that because we wanted to make sure that we were not creating pockets of loneliness mm-hmm. that would then turn into patterns of sin. Mm-hmm. And um, And in the process of doing that, we discovered, first of all, it's really fun you know, really fun. Secondly, um, your brothers and sisters who, who might not be exactly like you um, have a lot more to offer you than some of the people who are exactly like you. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a really great thing. Um, we discovered our children were, you know, enormously blessed. And then, and then we started opening that to children in the neighborhood. We started to notice, hey, you know what, it's not just si- singles who are covenant members of our church, who seem to be wandering around, you know, <laughs> you know, who really, who really just need a, need a place at the table, yeah. who just need to be invited in and say, hey, come sit down and have a meal with us. And so from there, our unbelieving neighbors started to come in, and, and their children. And so now it's fairly regular. Mm. And then, you know, at a certain point, the dinner dishes get passed up to the sink, and the mugs of coffee and the Bibles get passed down the long table, <laughs> and there you are having family devotions with people who have never opened a Bible in their life. It's a beautiful thing. And you have people asking questions. And then you also have singles in the Church who are not, not likely to fall through that crack of crushing loneliness, because quite frankly, you see them every day. Mm. And, and, and it, it's very good for everyone. I think everyone's stereotypes fall away when that happens. You know, number one, you don't worry about what your unbelieving neighbors are thinking about you because they're sitting right there, and they're more than happy to tell you what they're thinking about you. Yeah. <laughs> so that stereotype is gone. 
singles can stop stop having the stereotype that being married means lifelong bliss, happy intimacy, joyful peace. No, no, no. They see the squabbles. Sure. You know, they walk through your door and they see the fact that you have unfolded laundry, you know, all over the ki- the, the kitchen table. <laughs> and and they at this is the end of the homeschool day, they being wiser than you do the only responsible thing there is to do with that. They shove it back in the dryer. Mm-hmm. You, know? <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so it it's it, so, so that that gets demystified, you know, the idea that, you know, people can live without sex, but they can't live without intimacy. Yes. But intimacy isn't always easy. Intimacy isn't always exciting. Sometimes intimacy is just, it, sometimes intimacy simply means this, you know who your people are, and you know that you belong. And so this kind of daily, daily hospitality has been a great blessing to, again, my children, who mm. have watched people wrestle with questions, who have seen people come to faith, and, um, and who also know that there's always room for their friends who are struggling. And, and, and over the course of doing this, we learned, we did not know this going in, but we learned that people whose lives are riddled with addictions or abuse, they actually can't know if they're going to be sober or safe three Tuesdays from yesterday. Right. So if you invite them, you know, they, they'd love to come, but they just simply don't, genuinely don't know if they're going to be sober or safe. Yep. But if you have more of an open invitation, you know, they're going to be in a safe place on one of your open invitations. And, and you know, you keep praying for them, and they will walk through the door. That's beautiful. But in this post-Christian world, how will people know, how will people have access to some of those means of grace, like prayer and Bible reading? <laughs> if, they don't find it at the home of a Christian. And, and, and wouldn't it be wonderful in this post-Christian world if your neighbors could say, well, quite frankly, I think those people are bonkers. But you know what? Those are the people I trust with my house key <laughs> when I'm right. out of town. That's those right. are the people I trust to take care of my children. Those are the people I trust to find my dog and bring him back home. You know? Amen. So fine, live with that tension for a while. Let people work through that tension. Don't be scared. Well, today we've been talking with Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, She has a new book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And uh, I'm excited about this book. Rosaria, thank you so much for sharing with our listeners. And if someone would like to get a copy of your book, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dan. I always enjoy talking with you. Um, The best way would be either to go to um, my my website, rosariabutterfield.com, and you'll find uh, the book is published by Crossway. You'll find access to, uh, to the Crossway page there. You could go directly to Crossway, or of course you could go to Amazon. Yeah, that's beautiful. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us. We're at ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. For A Plain Answer, I'm Dan Elmendorf.